A few years ago, I went to a convention in Burlington, Vermont, and um, I, you know how you look at all the topics, and, and I said, I think I want to go to this uh, workshop, and I went all by myself, and I heard a speaker that was so profound, and, and I was pretty new to recovery, so I uh, felt compelled to go and speak to him after, and uh, that started a friendship that, you know what? He came to my door on Tuesday, and when I greeted him, I said, can you believe that you were? we've been friends now for 23 years? And we both went, and still clean. You know? Please help me welcome Peter S. from Rhode Island. That's what I was just thinking. How many I called Peter? I am from Rhode Island, which is not part of New York. It's not part of Connecticut. Thanks, Dave. It's our own little state. To qualify to let you know, I got clean April 14th, 1986. But for the grace of God, I am still clean today. My topic is walking the talk. When I first got here, I didn't know what the talk was. When I walked into the halls, after trying to come into the halls, once in 1980, once in 1983, I've been to three different rehabs, or three, re the same rehab three times. And finally, when I got here in 1986, something clicked. And I stayed. And I started hearing a message. I started thinking I heard a message. I started listening to people. I started hearing people. I started seeing people. In the beginning, I thought they were going outside a break. And coming back all smiles and happy, I thought they were smoking pot out in the pocket line and they weren't inviting me because I was new. <laughs> Come to find out later, that wasn't the truth. Come to find out later. Also back then I remember too, there's an old saying, to get active, start doing ABCs. I'm not sure if, how many people in this room remember what the ABCs were. Ashtrays, brooms, and chairs. Because back then, we used to be, we were allowed to smoke in meetings. They didn't have all the smoking bans. Right now in the States, you can't smoke at any meetings that I ever, that I know of unless they're outside. But getting here, was very difficult. I got here after an accident, after my 6 DWI ticket. 
after getting thrown in jail. But when I walked into the halls, I knew I had to do something different for me. I lost everything in my life. I just got finished listening the last two meetings I went to in a row next door with two close friends of mine. And I listened to them. One of them had me in tears. And the other one did too. They both did. And it was like feeling emotions. I remember the first time I remembered feeling emotions. I was sitting in a meeting. I probably had about nine months clean. And someone came in and they started talking. And they started talking about feelings that I was going through. But they had a couple of years clean. And I couldn't, I could identify with them. And I was shaking in my chair. And that was the start of a spiritual awakening for me. A start of a, of a higher power for me that is greater than anything I ever known. Something that keeps me around the halls and keeps me coming back to the halls. Because another thing I heard in the beginning was meeting makers make it. And even with the amount of clean time that I have, especially in Rhode Island, it's not very small and the, and the fellowship's not that big. When I got there, there was only seven meetings in the whole state. Now there's over 80. But there isn't that much clean time or a lot of old clean time in Rhode Island. And so here's somebody come in and share their anniversary of a number of couple of years. And my first year was like amazing. And then I went to my first convention. It was in Vermont. It was actually Connecticut, regional. And when I walked to the Connecticut regional, I saw this many people. I forgot how many people there was, but when I walked into my first convention, it was incredible. I'm not going to sit up here all night or all day and tell you what I did my first the last 29 years of my life I will go through it briefly and I'll explain to you why I walked the walk because if I don't I'd be dead I'd be out the door as fast as anybody else if not quicker because sometimes I forget what it's like that's why I love going to H9 commitments and walking in and seeing the desperation in people's eyes. First three years of my recovery is very simple. I came, I came to, and I came to meetings. I came to meetings the first year, the second year I came to, and the second, third year I came to believe. And when I mean I came to believe, I came to believe more in the higher power, more in the meetings, because that first year all I did was meetings. They told me to do 90 meetings in 90 days. I looked at my sponsor after doing 90 meetings in 90 days. And he said to me, and I said to him, I did my 90 meetings in 90 days, what did I do? And he said to me, did it work? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I'm still here. And he looks at me and says, why change what works? So I did it again. I probably did well over 450 meetings my first year. And I lost my license in the first year because of trouble I got into.
when I was out there using. The second year, when I started to come to, and I always say it to people, and some people hate me when I say it, I say the first year is a gift. Because what happened to me in the second year is all those feelings that I started stuffing at a very young age. I started stuffing them at the age of 10 and at the age of 12. And the reason behind it is because I was sexually molested both at the age of 10 and at the age of 12. And I didn't want to feel those feelings, so I started stuffing them with drugs and alcohol. And I started to come to those feelings and plus all the other feelings I had stuffed. All those feelings you're supposed to feel when you're an adolescent. All those feelings you're supposed to feel when you're a young adult. Because I got here and I was 30 years old. In July I'll be 59. Which is a miracle in itself and I'll get to that. In my fourth year when I started to come, when I started to really believe, I started really believing in the higher power. I started believing in the steps. I started believing in other people because this time I'll go back a little bit. After my second meeting, at my second meeting, actually, I got my first sponsor. I walked up to a guy and asked him to be my sponsor. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was asking him out on a date. <laughs> but it worked. He said yes. And he was my sponsor for the first five years of my recovery. During my fourth year of recovery, my life changed. I started to believe in feelings. I started to believe in the program. I started to sponsor people. I was working the steps. I had already done this work the steps once with my sponsor, and I started working them again with my sponsor. I also had a sponsee then, and he started working them too. And for me, it always has been the way the steps work for me. I may take some time off in between, but the way the steps work for me is like a big hand on a clock. It goes from 1 to 12, but it doesn't stop at 12. It goes back to one. That's the same way I try to work the steps over and over again. But my fourth year, I started doing other things. I started having toothaches. I started having teeth problems. I started having physical problems. My sponsor looked at me and said, you know, Peter, it's a threefold disease, mental, spiritual, and physical. Mental and spiritual, you've been working on it for the last three years three and a half years. Maybe it's time to work on the physical. So I started traveling from Rhode Island up to Boston, which is about an hour ride, hour and a half on bad days and bad traffic. But I started traveling up there, back and forth, to have my teeth worked on at a dental school in Boston, Tufts Dental School. I was up there in November one day with my dentist in his office I was a cubicle at the school. He left the cubicle, came back in with the dentist, the teacher, I guess he was, with a camera in his hand. He started taking pictures inside my mouth. After he took pictures in my mouth, he walked back out of the room. And when he walked back out of the room, he came back in. I looked at him and said, what the hell was that all about? And to make a long story short that I could drag out because I didn't find out for probably three weeks later the actual results. But he looked at me and said, well, you have thrush in your mouth, which probably means you have the virus. And this is in 1990. 
I took that little piece of paper that he sticks around your neck with the roach clips on it. I tore it off my neck, balled it up, and threw it in his face. And I said, F you. I want to get the hell out of this building. Thank you very much. And right across the street from that building was the old combat zone, which is a war zone area for drug use. Topless bars, the whole nine yards. I knew where I could go that day. I lived in Boston. I used to live there. I lived there before. I shot drugs in the combat zone. I knew where I could go. But instead, I went back into the same building. I called up my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, who I decided to have a relationship because of this program, because I wouldn't have any relationships with any of my family members. Because when I was out there using, if I came into your house, which most of my family did, and they had anything out valuable, they'd hide it before I came walking in the door. My father literally put it safe into the house because I was using to hide valuables in when I walked in the door. He saw diamond rings, TVs, the whole nine yards walk out because I went to any means to get the money that I needed to get my drugs. But I called him up. My brother were up that day. I went to his office. From his office, I went to my counselor's office. From my counselor's office, I went to my sponsor's office, my sponsor's house. I sat on his couch for the next three months. I mean, yeah, for the next three months. For the next 24 days, 24 hours rather, I'm nervous. I still am. I get nervous every time I speak. I don't know why. Somebody told me it's because God's shaking it out of me. The truth. <laughs> Hopefully that's true. But I sat on his couch with him in tears. Because another thing I learned around here in the beginning of my recovery, nothing grows without water. And men do have feelings. And men do cry. I was crying earlier today. I may cry in a while. Who knows where this goes. But in the meantime, it was right before Thanksgiving. It was three weeks before Thanksgiving. I was supposed to go to Florida. I grew up in Florida. I went down to see my parents. I didn't want to go. First time in my life, my mother looks at me when I get off the plane. She says, Peter, what's wrong? I said, Mom, I really don't want to talk about it right now until I have to talk about it. And for the first time in her life, she left me alone. And she didn't bug me the whole trip I was down there. And what happened was, I was down there for 10 days. The last day I was down there, I went out to play golf with my father. My mother was out shopping. We came home at the same time. We had lunch. I walked into the den of their house. I called up my brother-in-law and said, Hi, Rich. He says, Hi, Peter. And what basically he told me was that I already had a doctor's appointment to come back to when I got back to Rhode Island because the test came back positive because he had done the Western Block test. And that started a spiritual journey that I'm still on today and I still don't know where it's going to take me. But I will tell you this, that spiritual journey has taught me so many different things. I've also learned by going through the spiritual journey and by the coming to Nakaks Namas and by coming to meetings that I've learned 
that I can take a negative and make a positive out of it. And what I have tried and what I have done, I was going to say tried to do, but I've done it. I've been doing it for the last 24 years. I've taken that negative of having the virus or having AIDS and made it into a positive in my life. I try to share about it openly and honestly. I've had so many people walk up to me after a meeting and say, Peter, I'm glad you shared because I didn't know how to share. I'm going through the same thing. Or the family member is or somebody else is. And by doing this and by continuing to do this, I continue to do the work around here. And by doing the work around here, I try to get as honest as I can from the floor. And by doing that, and I try to do the same thing when I leave the halls. I'm not perfect. I'm not an angel. I'm far from it. But I will tell you, by being honest and by being the person I am today, which is somebody that you can take home with you and sit me on the couch and put a sad movie in, I guarantee I'll be crying. Very sensitive. I can also tell you that this past year if I didn't do the walking and the talking at the same time if I was varying somewhere different and there's an area in my life where I'm varying difference now and I'll get to that but in this past year in April of last year my mother found out she had pancreatic cancer On July 17th of this past year, my mother died of pancreatic cancer in Florida. During that period of time, she came to Boston at one point in the beginning to try to get help in Boston from Dana Faber. And then she, we flew her back home. She looked at the three of us, three kids. And she said, I want to go home because the chemo made her sick. So we flew her back to Florida where she wanted to go, where she lived, that was her home. Even though she was born in Florida, Rhode Island and she summered in Rhode Island, but home was Florida and that's where she went. And when she did that, thank God I had the type of job where I could take the time off because what happened was I'd go down to Florida for a week and fly back home for two go back down for another week and fly back home. I did that five different trips. The last time I left was the 15th of July. When I got there at the beginning of that week, she knew where I was. She recognized me when I walked into her bedroom because she was at home with home care, hospice. And my sister and my brother were with her all the time. And by the time I left that Sunday, 
she didn't know who I was. She wasn't talking. She wasn't doing anything. It's probably the hardest time I had in recovery. And tomorrow's probably going to be the hardest day I have. One of the reasons why I'm up here at this convention is because someone asked me if I was coming up when I saw her in Vermont. But at the same time, one of the reasons why I'm up here is because I did not want to spend Mother's Day in Rhode Island. It would have brought too many memories back. This past Thanksgiving, I was in California with friends in California. I spent three weeks out there because I did not want to be in Rhode Island for Thanksgiving. I did put myself back in Rhode Island for Christmas. I had to deal with it because of relatives, other relatives, but... But if I didn't work a program and walk the talk when I leave the meetings, I would not be clean today. I've been given every good excuse and every good reason to use. 18 years ago, people in this room can probably tell you, I know they can. I used to go to a lot of conventions. I'm a convention junkie, to say the least. I guess it's better than being the junkie I was before, but. I used to go into conventions and people used to look at me and think, is he still alive? I was sick to the point where my doctor looked at me one point and told me, Peter, you got six months to a year to live. Start to enjoy your life. My doctor actually forced me out of work when my T-count was down to 15 and said, you have to leave work, Peter. I walked around for two years with a T-count of four. And I'm still here talking about it. Because I was walking the talk and doing the things I was supposed to be doing and still going to meetings, I got through that because I learned in the beginning if I share what's going on with me, the pain is lessened. The part that I was talking about earlier, is that during that time my mother was dying, I had a very, very large misunderstanding or argument with my sponsor at the time that that all happened, started, and I had him for like five years prior. And I let him go. I got another sponsor in Boston, which was good for a while. But I've started to grow distant from him because he's in Boston and I'm not. 
because I don't want to pick up the phone. Because the phone's gotten heavy. Or because I've been traveling. And I say, because I'm traveling, I'm not going to do it. And part of walking to talk is having all aspects of your life. So maybe I shouldn't even be up here sharing. Because right now, I have a sponsor name, but I don't use them. I'm currently actively looking for a new sponsor. I have a couple of different people in mind. I haven't decided who yet. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to decide this weekend. Or next weekend, or I might find somebody else between now and then. But what I can tell you is that this program works. I'm living proof. I should not be alive today. I just recently retired from work. That work where my, my, my doctors forced me out of work. I worked in a treatment center. And by working in a treatment center, it helped me to give away what I have. And by giving away what I have, I could take in more. And they used to tell me by sharing my story, by doing what I'm doing now, it's like I take a sponge and I wring it out. And now I can absorb, absorb, absorb more into my life. Which I really don't know how I, if I can. To be totally honest with you, I'm an emotional wreck right now. Because I know what's happening tomorrow. I know what day it is. I was actually thinking this morning before I got a phone call to come down and join some friends for breakfast. I was thinking this morning, how could I get out of this? How could I get sick? How could I say, oh, I'm sick, I can't do this? Give me 10 years ago, I probably could have done that. But now that I walk around probably healthier than I have been in the last 20 years, I couldn't do that except face my fears and grow. And that's what I'm doing. I'm facing my fears and growing with them and trying to get honest and trying to be open before I forget I want to thank the committee for asking me to share and I'm not even sure how much time, more time I have left but I also had a sponsor one time told me, if you speak more than 15 minutes, you're bullshitting. <laughs> I know I've been up here more than 15 minutes, I hope. <laughs> <laughs>
have five minutes left? Thank you. Thank you. That's the best news I've heard all day. In Rhode Island, I sponsor a few people. I'll say a few. I have to use two hands to count them. Four of them have over 20 years. And half the time they're sponsoring me. I heard somebody say in the last meeting, I've been saying in the last meeting, my sponsees probably do more for me than I do for them. But what I've been taught around this program, if I don't offer help or I don't put my hand out to help, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for anybody. Without you people in the halls, without you people, I wouldn't be here today. And thank God for the newcomer. Thank God for the people just coming in. Because what they teach me is they teach me about respect, humility, compassion, fear, all those feelings. Or I get from them. And for that reason, I am extremely, extremely proud to say that I am a member of Nakaks Anonymous. Thank you to the com committee for asking me to speak. My name is Peter. I am an addict. Thank you. My name is Danielle and I'm an addict. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. I love you, Peter. Please join us in a circle to close the meeting in the Wii version of the Serenity Prayer.